privilege to be able to introduce to you Dr. Jim Caseman. He is the president of our association, the Association of Faith, Churches, and Ministers. We are celebrating our 40th anniversary, and Jim and his wife Kathleen are celebrating their 40th anniversary as the founder and the, and the leaders of the ministry. And we may not make uh, headlines on the national newspapers, um, but we have brought the gospel to the nations, according to the Lord as he's called. And uh, so there are hundreds of churches up and down the Amazon River and prison ministries in Africa and Bible schools in Nepal and all over the globe where the Lord has led us to be in partnership for the furtherance of the gospel. It's been my honor to serve and be a student of Dr. Caseman and uh, Pastor Mike. And so, Jim? I'm good. <laughs> all right. Father, we do thank you for this time that you allowed for us to gather together and as we approach your word... We just thank you in advance for clear spiritual understanding and even revelation of what's being shared so that we can have a walk worthy of you, fully please you, be fruitful in every good work, and increase in our knowledge of you. And we believe we've received, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it certainly is an honor to be here this morning. It's been a couple of years, but, uh, you know, there's this transition taking place, and uh, just uh, sharing with some others. I happened to be around here when you were still in the airport out there, and I still meet with Tim once a year up in the Northeast in our AFCM meetings, so I was there for that transition, and I'm here now, so things just keep getting better. <laughs> Amen. Never gets less. Well, I'm uh, going to be, we'll speak for a few minutes this morning on blood covenant, and uh, that's a subject that would be pretty difficult to cover in 30 minutes, but why not give it a try? I uh, have one series I do on Blood Covenant. It's 12 hours, and, uh, but we'll just condense it to 30. <laughs> How's that? Now, the purpose of doing this this morning is to just get to, to remind you the fact that we are in Blood Covenant with God, even though when we talk about blood and covenants, it doesn't seem to be that big a deal in the world anymore. You know, covenants are made to break, but it's not that way with God. And so that we can be reminded of it and probably pursue it you know, after this service, get refreshed in it. And uh, I'm just going to hit some high points, just to, uh, just some high points, the new blood covenant, and then you can go after it and uh, on your own. We do have uh, things available on our website, and if that's what you're, you're looking for. All right, but so when we talk about blood covenant, first of all, you know, when I began to study it, uh, people would say, you know, it's so confusing. It seems like there's so many covenants in the Bible. Well, really, you can boil it down to eight eight covenants, and there's seven under the old, and of course the other one would be the new blood covenant. And of course the first three are what they call universal covenants, you know, the Garden of Eden, the Adamic covenant, and the Noahic covenant with Noah. But then when we start with the Abrahamic covenant, here is the covenant where God then brings the Messiah on this earth and into the world. And so that we call, <clears throat> when we talk about the Abrahamic covenant, we're talking about the old blood covenant. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> and uh, the, uh, the, the Abrahamic covenant was not replaced by the new blood covenant. The new blood covenant fulfilled the Abrahamic covenant. And so under the old covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, then we have also the Mosaic covenant, which comes right alongside the Abrahamic covenant. And that basically, it was a teacher. You couldn't get saved through the Mosaic Covenant, but it would give the people some instructions on how to conduct their lives with each other. And then you had all of the offerings, and that was the only way to approach God was through all of these blood offerings. 
And then, of course, finally, there was the Ten Commandments, which uh, we also were to keep uh, morally. And, of course, none of that could be kept by anybody. Nobody had the strength to do it. Everybody under the old blood covenant was dead spiritually. Nobody could be born again until Jesus showed up a few thousand years later and paid the death penalty for our sins. And, of course, I heard one of them up here make the comment that the covenant, uh, the blood covenant, is, the, is known also as the great exchange. And you'll probably hear me say that a little bit, too. All right, so when we talk about the Abrahamic covenant, of course, there was also the covenant with David to ensure that there was, God was talking about a successor that would come through Abraham, that namely being Jesus Christ, and there'd be a great nation raised up under him. And, of course, the Palestinian covenant had to do with the land. Because back in Genesis chapter 12, and uh, picking up the first uh, three verses, it tells us that God promised Abraham a land and he'd be a great nation, and he'd be a blessing to all nations. The blessing, of course, would be the forgiveness of sins, and that would all come through him. All right, so then, I guess probably to get started, I want to come back to Genesis chapter 15. And when we look at Genesis, and here's where God cut covenant with Abraham, uh, we understand everything is in seed form in Genesis. And... Uh, I'm talking about not just blood covenant, but other subjects in the Bible. It's in seed form. And then Revelation's progressive. And as we move on through the law, and we get through the Psalms, and we get through the prophets, and then we get up there into Jesus' teaching, Jesus and his teaching, and then the apostles, of course, in the book of Acts, believed it and acted on it, and then it became doctrine in the epistles. So I've made it a practice in my life to start in Genesis, and whatever the subject is, and look for... Uh, as seven witnesses, you know, in seed form and the law and type and shadow, Psalms, the sacred songs, and all the Proverbs, Lamentations. And then what did the prophets have to say about it? What did Jesus have to say about it? And then as the, as the apostles acted on that and, 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 and uh, believed and acted on it, and now it's doctrine. So we got seven witnesses. It says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, shall be every word be established? I decided to go for seven, <laughs> namely to keep out of trouble. Because that'll keep you out of trouble. Because false prophets, false teachers, and all that sort of stuff, primarily, they'll use one, one verse or a chapter or book, or book or even take away from the Bible. You know, add a chapter, take this one out, that's not for us, remove it. You know, they do the crazy stuff and pervert. But I'll tell you, when you run a trail through the Bible, and I first was introduced to it when I got born again, and before I even knew what I know now, and that had to do with healing. They called it the red scarlet thread. And they said, you can see healing from Genesis all the way through Revelation. Well, then I found out that was true with all the other basic doctrines of Christianity as well. All right, so then um, I'm going to come to, uh, back here to Genesis 15 because here's where Abraham, uh, God cut covenant with Abraham. Now, remember, blood covenant then was practiced by all the pagan nations as well, yeah. only it was a perversion of it. Now, the devil, who was a fallen angel, angels can't create anything, nothing. And the devil can't create anything, and neither can evil spirits. They can't create anything. All they can do is pervert what God has created. So they pervert life into death. They pervert health into sickness, prosperity into poverty. That's all they can do. And likewise, they perverted blood covenant. And there's some real, real ugly stuff they do with blood covenant, you know, the devil and his bunch. And, uh, but we're talking about covenant, that, uh, God's way of cutting covenant. Let's put it that way. All right, now, when you cut a covenant, 
And when the two Hebrew men would cut covenant, and right now we're going to talk about, uh, for a moment, about God cutting covenant with the man, Abraham, each covenant partner has to have a need, or there's no need to cut a covenant. And one of the illustrations I had heard years ago, and it, it just uh, kind of always stuck, you got a farmer who's got the food, but then you got the general of the army who's got the army, but he doesn't have food, and the farmer doesn't have protection. Well, they both have a need. I'll give you the food, you protect me. <laughs> you know, that's the way it works. Well, here we have God, and what is God looking for a covenant partner for? Well, since the beginning of time, and you can look at several scripture references on that, like Titus 1, 2, Ephesians 1, 4, 1 Peter 1, 18 to 20. But then, I could, for example, I'll just read the one here out of 2 Timothy, and I'll pick it up here in chapter 1 and verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Time is physical. So before this physical universe was even created, God had this plan of redemption in his heart. Well, we begin to see what his plan is as we begin to read the Old Testament and we work our way through. We begin to see that when man sinned, he was separated from God. Isaiah 59, 2, uh, it says, and, and uh, your iniquities, your wicked ways have made a separation between your God and you. And your sins have hidden his face from you. And then we go back to the New Testament. We know in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Now, I know this congregation understands that there's two kinds of death. Physical death, which is nothing. Your body is just roadkill. It just reserve, it just, it's no different than a, a something laying out on the highway rotting. And it returns to dust. That's nothing. That's not you. That's just what you needed to live in this physical dimension. You and I are spirit beings. And according to 2 Corinthians 4.18, the things of the natural are temporary, but the things of the spirit are eternal. That means angels are spirits. Fallen angels are spirits. Demons are spirits. They live for eternity in hell, in the lake of fire, ultimately. You and I are spirits. We never cease to exist. Either we're going to spend eternity in hell or we're going to spend eternity in heaven. There's nothing in the middle. Either you're pregnant or you're not. There's nothing in the middle. In other words, there's no such thing as a white lie or all of this sort of stuff. It's either sin or death. Or sin and death or either life. Sorry. All right. So then, uh, wow. We're, oh, yeah. So Galatians 5 and 12. I'm sorry. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. And death through sin, thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. They all sinned. So what's the deal? Well, there's no hope. That means man's going to be separate for eternity from God, unless, according to God's plan, which he had in his heart before the beginning of time, he knew it was going to happen. There has to be a sinless human being that would be willing to die so the rest of us could live. But there wasn't any. So when you read Hebrews 2.17, Hebrews 2.14, Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8, you begin to find out that God had purposed in his heart before the beginning of time that he would essentially, literally, take on the form of a human being in every respect to pay the death penalty for us. 
God purchased the church with his own blood. The blood that was on, coming, that was flowing through Jesus' veins was the creator of the universe, his life. Leviticus 17, 11 says, The life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've given you two upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it's the blood that makes atonement for your soul. So ultimately, a few thousand years down the road after Abraham, we see that that blood that flowed at Calvary's cross was the blood. In that blood was the life of the creator of the universe who paid the death penalty for us. Isn't that something? Anyway. But anyway, here's Abraham. We better get back to the covenant thing here before lunch comes on top of us. All right, so, so then just, I'll just, we just see here that he told Abraham, get all the animals together. As soon as Abraham told him that, and there were some other things that happened just before that, God promised him the land and he'd become a great nation and all of that. And then he, Abraham then took the sacrifices and he cut the animals, not the birds, but the animals in half, and they would kind of tilt them like this, V-shaped, so the blood would run to the center. And then what the Hebrew men would do, of course, they would stand back to back uh, in that blood, and then they would take off, and they would do a, a, a circle eight and come back and then end up facing each other as they cut the covenant. Now, we started to say God had a need. Well, he had a need for a sinless human being to cut covenant with. Well, Abraham's not going to meet that need. He's dead spiritually. He's unholy. God's looking for a sinless substitute. And so then we see that in this, the Abraham was laid aside then because God couldn't use him. And Abraham, though, he saw, as we come down to verse 17, and it came to pass when the sun went down, it was dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. Smoking oven represents God the Father, the burning torch, the lamp, the light represents Christ in the church. So we've got God the Father walking through those halves, and then we have, there was two individuals he saw, and the other one was God the Son before he took on the form of a human being. So now he's got a covenant partner to work with. I, I tell you, this is, <laughs> you know, God's ways are not our ways. His ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. Uh, you know, but he is one God. The word, his word was made flesh. His presence is the power of the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, how he can do this? Well, I don't think it's a real problem for him since he created the whole universe and everything is in it. So there's no sense us trying to figure it out with our little finite minds. <laughs> we think we're so clever. I mean, we haven't seen anything yet. You know, we're so techie now with all our computers. And, oh, and just all you got to do is call. <laughs> you got to do is call uh, Google, and she'll talk to you. And so I decided the other morning, I went ahead and I, I punched. I, I, I said, okay, Google. She says, how can I help you? And I says, who is God? She had a profound answer. It's just basically two lines. Religion is complicated. I'm still learning. So much for technology, but at any rate, <clears throat> I don't think you've got any laptop or computer that knows the counts, that knows the number of hair on every person on this earth, but God does, and he even knows your heart, and he knows what you're thinking. No computer can do that. So we got a long ways to go yet. All of our technology is Model T next to heaven. There's no computer. Well, anyway, I got to get off of that. All right, let's get back. All right, so now, but now Abraham was laid aside. 
Now, to help us better understand that, at least for me, now we just go ahead a couple thousand years, and there's the cross. And that's the, at the cross, the covenant was cut between now, God the Son has taken on the form of a man, literally in every respect, because man sinned, not God. And God can't cheat either. In other words, some say, well, he's man, but he's also part God. No. <laughs> God doesn't cheat. If he did, he'd become unholy and everything would fall apart. He's got to do everything right, even with the devil. So that's another subject. Boy, we could get into that one. But anyway, then now he is literally a human being, a man. Uh, and he came into this world sinless, Jesus did, but he was clothed with the same sinful flesh that we have. So he was tempted in all points just like you and I are. You and I are born again. We're sinless. We're created holy, and we're supposed to stay holy. But we still have this flesh we have to deal with. It has death in it. It's not only dying, but it has all the sinful lusts and desires that the world has. See, and that's the problem with Christians. They haven't learned to take, care, to take control of their flesh. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit. Romans 1.4 calls the Holy Spirit the spirit of holiness. Walk in that spirit of holiness, and you'll not fulfill the lust or the desires of the flesh. Then you drop down a couple of verses to the dirty list. The lusts of the flesh, right at the top, adultery, fornication, any kind of sex outside the marriage bed, drunkenness, selfishness, division, heresies, on and on. And then it says, this is just a partial list, and then it goes on to say, those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot practice sin habitually and still go to heaven. It won't work. Either you're going to serve the devil, the world, or you're going to serve God. You can't serve both. And you would think common sense, see, but it just doesn't seem to be in the, in my, in the people's minds. Common sense would say, I'm going to walk with God. It sure beats fire. There is a lake of fire for eternity. It's not a mental state. It's a real place. And Jesus talked about hell more than heaven in the Gospels. He talked more about hell than he did heaven. Happy, happy. All right, it's going to get better. If I could just get back on the subject here, it's going to get better. So, we get, I guess we're, we were at the cross, weren't we? And this is the way it would be. You know, Abraham is laying there, and God the Son walked through the halves because Abraham didn't qualify, so he stood in for Abraham. So you get to the cross, and guess what? There wasn't one of us that qualified as a sinless human substitute to go to that cross. So Jesus comes along, and he says, just step aside. I came into this world sinless to take your place. And so we see in Galatians 2.20 then that we were crucified with him. As far as God's concerned, we were crucified with him. We went to hell with Jesus, and we were resurrected with Jesus. Hallelujah. All right. Now, I can motor. I'll go keep moving here. So now what we're going to do now, just to give you a little taste of how this works, the Hebrew men, when they would cut covenant, they, uh, there was actually, you can through the scriptures find nine different steps. You won't find them in any particular order in any one particular book. But when you're reading, you say, oops, I spot. There, there's one of those steps of blood covenant. They were in covenant with each other. You begin to recognize it then. So I'm going to, we're going to go through those steps. And what I, what I purposed to do was to tell you what the Hebrew men did and then come on over to the new blood covenant and see how that applies to us. Fair enough? 
So we'll go through it pretty quick just to give you a little, just to get you excited again about the new blood covenant if you're not, you know. Because we're in it. That's the only way you can walk with God is with blood. There is no other way. The world can't change the Bible. The Bible's supposed to change the world. But people today are trying to change the Bible to make it justify their sins. You can't do that. God never changes. Here we go again. All right, let's get back to this. Uh, what's the matter with you folks? Making, we didn't have this in the first session. It must have all been, must have all been sinless in that room over there. Oh, man, my plane doesn't leave tomorrow. It should be this afternoon. All right, let's get with it here because we got to get out of here. At least I'm told. All right, so. All right, step one. What the, what the two Hebrew men would do, they would, uh, they would exchange a coat or a robe, and, of course, the coat would represent the person. That's kind of the way it works. So they exchange coats. Remember, the great exchange. And then we come down to where you and I are. Jesus then took our robe of self-righteousness, selfishness, really, which is as filthy rags, Isaiah 64, verse 6. And then he clothes us with his garment of salvation and robe of righteousness, Isaiah 61.10. So we exchanged robes on the new blood covenant. And then there was the exchange of belts. Now, that's not the belt that holds up your pants. That, of course, the belt that holds your spear, sword, whatever, uh, in place, your weapons. And so then, and by doing that, they would say this. Here is my strength and my ability to fight. If anyone attacks you, they're attacking me. Your battles are my battles, and mine are yours. I'll fight with you. I'll help defend you and protect you. Well, that's exactly God's attitude. He says, your battles are my battles. And so what he's done, you know, we're familiar with Ephesians 6, verse 10 to 18, the armor of God. But if you look at every piece of that armor, it's the Word. And the Word is God. The Word was made flesh. So God has clothed us with his flat, with his, with himself. I mean, come on. I mean, God not only, you know, whipped Satan and threw him out of heaven, and Satan's here on this earth and all his bunch, but here God comes to help us. He's not leaving us alone. And besides that, greater is he that's meeting, he's in the world. So if you're going to run over God, uh, run over me, you're going to have to run over God. Right? I know my drinking days, drug days, before I was a Christian, blah, blah, blah. I always late at night, stoned, and I got eight miles to drive to get home, and I don't know how many mailboxes I hit. You know, fall asleep. This one in particular, I don't know why, I was drawn to that one, and I knocked it over at least twice or three times, and then guess what the farmer did? Yep, he did. He put into the ground a concrete... Yeah, I hit it. Boy, I left some pieces of the car behind and uh, went home. Nobody ever found out who did it. You know, I picked up the pieces and we went home. But anyway, so if the devil's going to try to run over us, there's more than concrete in us. <laughs> he can't do it. Greater is he is me he is in the world. The one that beats Satan lives inside of me. All right, now God then, there's the great exchange. He also needs us. Now, God has a plan to, uh, uh, for redemption for mankind on this earth, but he has to have a physical body to work through. So we're it. So, okay, 
He's promised to take care of us and protect us with everything he has in exchange. Here, you can use me. He needs people. You know, he's a spirit, like we are. I always say, if I'd have left my body, my uh, body back in the hotel this morning, now, I'd have been preaching for I don't know how long now, and I'm looking around trying to say, what's the matter with you folks? You don't respond. Well, you can't hear me, and you can't see me, even though I'm preaching. I noticed that. So I went back and got my body, and here I am. <laughs> you can't operate in this physical dimension without a body, so God's got a body. And we, well, 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, you are the body of Christ and members individually. So each one of us are a member of that body. So he has a body on this earth today, the body of Jesus Christ, that he can speak through. And he has to have somebody to speak. He's in us. He just needs our body to speak through because the gospel's got to be preached. We've got to make disciples of all nations. That's his plan. He wants to get as many people into the kingdom of God as we can with the time that's remaining. So we're working together. Okay? Lord, I'll work with you. You just take, <laughs> make sure I've got plenty of ammunition you know, to take care of everything. And I was, somebody said something, I think it was whatever, wherever you went, uh, at the last session, I, uh, I had a machine gun and a big clip, and I was just splattering it all over the place. I guess that's what I'm doing right now. <laughs> little here, little there, and maybe you get hungry. All right. All right, here we go. Cut the covenant. Okay, here's where they cut the covenant. And we mentioned that, how Abraham cut it. Now, when they came together after doing the circle eight, they met each other, and in doing so, we are saying that we are dying to ourselves, we're giving up the rights to our own life, and beginning a new covenant with our covenant partner. So we are in Christ. So through Jesus Christ, and now we are, you know, it, uh, Jesus Christ, we are acknowledging that we are dying to ourselves, selfishness. The only way that you can get rid of selfishness is to kill it. Wow. Nail it to the cross. And you list, you take that dirty list in Galatians 5.19, every single one of those sins, from adultery to fornication to drunkenness, heresy, division, strife, it's all selfishness. I'm working with a dealer right now that's really sad. And this woman wants to divorce her husband. It's nothing more than selfishness. Sin is selfish. Have you ever noticed in the English language anyway? Sin is spelled small s, capital I, small n. I didn't get my way. I didn't get promoted. I deserve more. I, I, I. Got quiet again. Okay. <laughs> So we're acknowledging that we're dying to ourselves, giving up the rights to our own life, and beginning a new walk with our covenant partner. So when you, end, when you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you ask him to come into your heart to be your Lord and Master, what you're saying is, I'm dying to myself. I give up the rights to my life. And now I'm beginning my new walk with you, Father, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember, it's the great exchange. Amen. My life is his, but now also on God's side. He's also saying, through Jesus Christ, Jesus saying, I'm going to die to myself. Remember, at the cross, he, was he, he, he who knew no sin was made sin for us. He died spiritually, but he was willing to give up his life for us, and we exchange give up ours as well. All right, then, they, then what they would do is they, they uh, would, if there had been intermingling of blood between the two Hebrew men, 
they would cut in, the, uh, in their palms a cut, and they would put their palms together, each one of them, and they would believe that, as they, that their blood was intermingling, and that when they did that, they believed their lives, the two of them, lives were intermingling and becoming one. Now, we look at the cross. There's the blood of man, Jesus. And then Acts 20, 28 says, God purchased the church with his own blood. So now we've got God's blood and man's blood intermingling at the cross. And at the cross is where the new blood covenant was cut. And their lives and our lives are intermingled with God's through Jesus. All right. Now, uh, when we're born again, of course, we put off the, the old man and we become a new creation in Christ Jesus, all through that intermingling. All right. Then there was the exchange of names and what the Hebrew men would do. I would uh, take uh, part of his partner's name and then vice versa. The other one would take part of his name, put it together. And I guess as Christians, we can see in Acts 11 and 26 that that's the first time we as believers were called Christians. <laughs> Christians, Christians. And then, of course, Jesus was called the Son of Man. All right. Now... This scar then, also, the Hebrew men would make uh, this cut, rather, that they had in the palm of their hands, that make a scar out of it. And so, in blood covenant, what that means is this. If an enemy plans to attack either one of them, let's say I'm one of them, then what I would do is hold up my hand. They'd see the scar. And that would mean, they'd say, oops, he's in blood covenant with somebody. I really don't know who he is. I could be outnumbered. I could be somebody bigger than me. I don't really know. And they would end up backing off. Well, we as Christians, uh, we, uh, we look here at uh, the scar that we have now. And, and, and that would be uh, the scar, rather with the Hebrew men, would be a, a, temp, a testimony, a permanent testimony of the covenant relationship that they have with each other. But now when we come over to the new blood covenant, I come over here to Acts chapter 2. And I look right here at verse 28. 27, rather, and will not, the physically uncircum will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you even, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law. But listen to verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, a real Jew is he who is one inward, inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not to the man from God. So under the new blood covenant, there's no physical circumcision. See, the Old Testament dealt with man uh, in the natural realm, basically. The new blood covenant, now we're dealing with the, the, the human spirit. Natural in the old, spiritual in the new. And so then, under the natural, under the old, there was a circumcision of the flesh. Under the new, when you get born again, your heart is circumcised or regenerated. The, uh, the old is gone, and there's a brand new. Yes. I prefer the new. Yes. All right, so, so that's how that works. And then in the spirit, you know, Jesus appeared to the disciples. They could see the holes in his wrists here, they could also see the side. Well, doubting Thomas went ahead and poked his hand in the side, I guess. And then he believed. But in the spirit, we are the body of Christ in the spirit. So in the spiritual realm, I have to believe that when we're praising the Lord, 
And Satan sees it in the spiritual realm. We've got the scars, too, in the spiritual realm, wouldn't we? But at any rate. Okay. So, moving on then, we get to the covenant terms. Hallelujah. Now, are you ready for this one? And if you say it's too good to be true, then no wonder you're not walking in victory. <laughs> the gospel is, it's really, it's amazing. It is too good to be true in the natural, but it's true. But it's true. Uh, yeah, anyway. All right. My mind's going in another direction, but we'll bring it in right here. All right. Covenant terms. New blood covenant. Well, first of all, the old. I got ahead of myself. So what these two men would do, they would get some witnesses together so they could witness and listen to what they're saying. So each man would then list all of their assets, their liabilities, everything they have, everything they owe, everything. Because now every single thing, including my life, belongs to my covenant partner. And he would do the same thing. And should I die prematurely, he's also, he's got my family to take care of too. Everything. Now when it comes over to the new blood covenant, the covenant, like I said earlier, I believe, in the new blood covenant, the covenant, the new blood covenant is actually cut between God the Father and the man Jesus at the cross. Remember when they cut the animals in half and all the blood comes there? Well, the Lamb of God comes, and for 1,500 years under the Mosaic law, they were, they were celebrating the Day of Atonement, and they were looking forward to that day at Passover when the Lamb of God would show up and make become the final sacrifice under the old and bring us into the new blood covenant. And so that day came, and Jesus shows up. And so then, at the cross then, when his blood is shed at the cross, that is when the covenant was cut. That's important to know that. Because now understand, he is, he's taken on the form of a man, He's going to the cross as a man. And then at the cross, we see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that God, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. So now he's no longer sinless. He now has died spiritually as well as physically. Well, we have no problem with the tomb on the surface, but Jesus told us where he was going. Once he died spiritually, he's dead spiritually, he himself said in Matthew 12, 40, even as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so must the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Well, now, Jesus also said in Matthew, uh, Luke, rather, Luke 24, 44, he said the first five books of the Bible, the prophets and the Psalms, I am here, I have to fulfill everything that they said about me. Well, for those of you that probably know, there's at least 300, maybe 350 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Most all of them have come to pass, including details like in Zechariah, he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey that morning of Passover. Specific details. About 300, 350 of them. And uh, so, uh, so Jesus then descended into hell. You go read John, uh, uh, Jonah chapter 2. First of all, verse 17, the last verse of chapter 1, says that Jonah's belly weighed three days and three nights. Well, isn't it interesting? All through the Gospels, Jesus said that he'd have to be raised on the third day. He'd be resurrected on the third day. And then you read chapter 2. It's not a picture of a man in paradise. 
He was in hell, suffering the wrath of God for you and me. Now, get that clear. I guess I probably should give you these real quick as I come over here to the book of Romans and I look at chapter 5. It says in verse 9, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. And then I can come back here to 1 Thessalonians and pick this one up real quick. Verse 10, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians. And it reads, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen. Now, the, what he's talking about here is the great tribulation, which is right in front of us. All hell's going to break loose on this earth when the judgment of God hits this earth, his wrath. Jesus delivered us from it. And even in, I flip over here to uh, Chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians 9, For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to tame salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the death penalty for our sins for us, which was judgment in hell, the wrath of God in hell. He paid the penalty for us. He went there for us so we wouldn't have to. You better get that clear. So then, what about the, great, what about the catching away of the church? It says the church will be caught up in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. I'll have some people say, well, you know, what are you trying to escape? I mean, he's just going to put the church through the tribulation to test us. Oh, how stupid can you get? Read the scriptures. <laughs> We're not going to be going through the great trip so we can be tested. He already did that for us. Why do you think he put Noah in an ark? So the rest of the world would suffer the judgment of God, and he wouldn't. It's pre-trib. There's no such thing as mid-trib, post-trib. We are caught up, and it says in Thessalonians, when we get caught up, then sudden destruction. Well, they've been saying this for 2,000 years. So now you can relax and sin. That's kind of the attitude out there. I want to tell you, I don't know how long it took, you know, from... From Seth, after Cain and Abel and Seth, there was a great revival. People called on the name of the Lord. People were saved back there. And I don't know how long it took by the time we got to Genesis 6, where it said the whole earth was evil and corrupt. In other words, sin was full. And when sin is full, judgment comes. You don't go to hell because you sinned once. What we do as Christians, if we do sin, we then immediately confess that sin and receive forgiveness 1 John 1, 9, and then we stand, and, and we're cleansed with the blood of Jesus, and we stand in his presence like we never missed it. But you continue to mess around with sin. According to Hebrews 3, 12, and 13, you'll end up hardening your heart. In other words, you no longer want anything to do with God. And besides that, that's when sin is full, and God pulls back, and it's over with. Don't mess with it. Sin is, is, is the worst enemy of the human race is sin and is designed to steal, kill, and destroy. And Satan comes in with it. Well, it tastes good. It feels good. Well, everybody's doing it. It must be okay. Well, everybody's doing it. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 8? Uh, yeah, I guess it'd be 8, 13 and 14. He said, the way to heaven is narrow and few go thereby and the road to hell everybody's doing it, is wide. 
Just because everybody's doing it doesn't change the Word of God. Oh, now you're asking me to live a life that's so boring. Come on. I lived in sin, like probably everybody in this room. I mean, alcohol, drugs, and it finally got to me to where at age 21, after a few weeks of listening to these thoughts coming to my mind, which was not God but the devil, I finally decided the world was better off without me. And I'll tell you exactly where sin and alcohol and drugs took me. I came off that bridge that Sunday, off that hill rather, that Sunday morning, three-quarter mile run, brand new car, only four months old, back in February of 1964. And I put the pedal to the floor for three-quarter of a mile downhill as fan the middle was buried. And the last thing I remember was, Grandpa, here I come, because I didn't, I didn't know anything about familiar spirits, so he was, I thought he was talking to me. And I remember turning the wheel, and that's all I remember. I don't remember hitting the bridge. But there was only pieces to pick up. There was no car to tow. And they gave me up for dead for three days. I know exactly where sin will take you. I was 21 years old. But I was an alcoholic and on drugs before I even got out of high school. All right. Oh, what are we doing? Oh, yeah. So here we are. Covenant terms. <laughs> Brother. All right, we're, we're coming to a close here pretty quick, but here's a biggie. Remember? Now, here's the covenant terms. Remember what the Hebrew men did, right? All of my God is yours. Everything you have is mine. Well, here's the new blood covenant. Remember, now, they're cut between God the Father and Jesus. Now, everything that Jesus is and ever will be and has and ever will have now all belongs to God. Well, guess what? If you're born again, you're part of his body. Now, you belong to God. You're not your own. So that means everything you are and have, your whole spirit, soul, and body, everything is God's. Some people, you know, they talk about the tithe. I, I had somebody tell me, well, somebody, somebody that shouldn't have been. They should have known better. They said, we've been cursed. We've been redeemed from the curse of the law, so we don't have to tithe. You can't find that in the Bible. I read the book of Hebrews. What they, what they were delivered from was the priests. 1,500 years of priests, and they're always dying. And some loved you, and then the next one hated you. The high priest of Jesus' time crucified Jesus. But thank God, we've got an eternal high priest now. He's in forever, and he loves us. He's for us. All right, so when we tithe, you worship God with your tithe. And what you're doing, you're acknowledging God that everything I am and ever will be in heaven, it all belongs to you, Father, 100%. Not just 10%, 100%. It's all yours, every penny. And my whole spirit, soul, and body. My family, everything's yours. My life doesn't belong to me anymore. It's his. Use me wherever you use me. Send me where you want to send me. It's all about you. If you hadn't paid the death penalty for my sins, my destiny would be the lake of fire. It's about you. And then likewise, what happens now? Everything that God is and ever will be and has and ever will have all belongs to Jesus 100% unconditionally between the two of them. Well, Romans 8, 17 says, I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. It means everything Jesus receives, I receive. What did Jesus receive? All of God's power. Everything he is, ever will be. 
I mean, incalculable wealth. You know, when a believer gets born again, you know, I have to come back here to the Amplified Bible and quickly pick it up right here in Ephesians 3 and 8, the last half of the verse, to, Paul said to proclaim the gent to the Gentiles, the unending, boundless, fathomless, incalculable, and exhaustless riches in Christ, wealth which no human being could have ever searched out. They could be a billionaire or a trillionaire who's not born again. Then you take a homeless man in the street and he receives Jesus. The homeless man now becomes the richest man on the planet. Amen. Trillions of dollars can't get you to heaven. You can't get the gold, walk on the gold streets in heaven with trillions of dollars and not knowing Jesus. See, salvation includes more than money. Not only do, does God promise to take care of our financial needs, but all of his power, his ability, his anointing, all of his resources, deliverance, healing, wholeness, salvation. <sighs> Everything is and has. His life, it becomes ours. So every believer, that gets, every person rather, that gets born again, that incalculable wealth is made available to them. It's just a little... Hiccup here, a little trick. You have to believe it. And you have to receive it. And you got to begin acting like it. That's where faith comes. The majority of the Christians will never even touch a small portion of that. They're so locked up with their physical body in this physical world. Well, that's not the way it works. This is the way it works. You're just talking spiritual. Well, I'll tell you what, you better get hooked up spiritually because that's going to affect you in the natural. We're in covenant with the creator of the universe. The creator who literally went to hell for you and me. He knows exactly what things are like for us. He walked in our shoes. Why don't we just trust him? We're in blood covenant with him. All right. So I'll close with this real quick. The memorial meal, I don't have to say much about that. That's our Lord's uh, communion table that we do. Except when we take the wafer, that's symbolic of his body. He said, eat my flesh, John chapter 1, beginning, uh, John chapter 6, beginning verse 52. And, and he said, it, he is the bread of life. So by eat, taking the word and putting it into our mouth, and the human spirit's got to be fed daily. You've got to feed your human spirit daily or it'll be just a weakling. Your flesh needs food every day. So does the human spirit. It needs the word of God. So you put the word, meditate on the word day and night, Joshua 1.8. And then the human body has to eat a balanced diet as well as exercise and sleep. But also you have to drink plenty of water. Why? To flush out all the toxins out of your physical body. The human spirit needs spiritual food. Can't live on physical food. And physical water is not going to do anything for it. It needs blood. The blood of Jesus is to the human spirit what water is to the physical body. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, 1 John 1, 7. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness or the toxins of the world and politics and the stain of sin and past. It cleanses us continuously. Make much of the blood every day. And finally, they planted a memorial. They would leave a tree that was sprinkled with blood of the animal 
along with the scar, and that'd be the testimony of the covenant. Well, we also have a tree that's sprinkled with blood as a memorial to our testimony, our covenant with God.